Uh, what I'm about to share may lower some of your views of me, uh, if that's possible, especially people who think I'm reasonably cultured and highbrow. Uh, you're not meant to laugh at that point. Uh, having said it, it may lift some other people's views of me. You may think more highly of me when I share this. But uh, what I'm sharing is this. One of my favourite things is watching zombie movies. One of my favourite things is zombie TV shows. Any, any show uh, about the end of the world, about sort of that post-apocalyptic world uh, where the survivors have to work out how to live in a dangerous world where there's no law and order. What I've worked out by watching a lot of these is I would have no hope. I would have absolutely no hope. I can't shoot. I don't know how to use a gun. And I'm not in America where there's lots of guns to shoot the zombies. So what hope would I have? Our house is not well designed for an apocalypse, I've worked out. And the worst thing is... I snore. And so whenever I sleep, the zombies will be attracted because I make a, Those who've shared a room with me on Invest know this. But uh, anyway, I love those shows. I'm not encouraging you to watch them just in case anyone goes home and says, Phil said we should watch them. I'm not saying that. But one of the things I like about them is the way they always focus in on how people react when there is no law. So how, how do you react when there are no consequences for doing bad things? Uh, I love the, the sort of social experiment of that. I loved it when I read Lord of the Flies when I was back in year 10 at school. You know, do you still read that book at school where the kids are trapped on a desert island and, uh, and there's no parents and there's no adults and there's no teachers and they just go feral? Well, this is the question of these movies. Will people keep trying to do good things when there are no rewards for doing good things? Will people not do bad things when there are no consequences? For doing bad things. You see, that's why I find those shows so interesting, the way they raise these questions about human nature and how we react when there's no rewards for doing good, no consequences for doing evil. Uh, now, why do I share that today? Well, it's because that is sort of the question of today's passage in Romans chapter 6. You see, for the first five chapters of Romans, we've seen really clearly that we are saved, how? By Grace. I'm glad a few people said it. So please say it when I ask the question. How are we saved? By? Yes. It's a free gift of God. You have done nothing to make you right with God because you cannot do anything to make you right with God. What do we do to deal with our sin? Nothing. We can't do anything. We just accept God's forgiveness. We accept the gift of his righteousness through faith in our Lord Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith. That has been the message of Romans 1 to 5. We have laboured over it, haven't we? Here in church and in gospel teams for the last, I don't know, eight or nine weeks. So please, I hope you've got that message because that is the most wonderful, that is the greatest news there has ever been. But it also raises a massive question. See, if you think about this, if I can have total assurance of my salvation just by trusting in Jesus then why do I bother to live a godly life now? If just by trusting in Jesus, I can have total assurance of my place in God's kingdom, why do I bother living a godly life? Why not just keep sinning? Why do good things? You know, why come to church? Why be generous? Why, why not just go out there and be selfish and, and, and lie and, and gossip and, and get drunk or do whatever else it is? If Jesus loves me anyway, why do I bother? I hope you see the issue. Because that is the question of chapter 6, verse 1. So come there with me, look with me. You need to have your Bible in front of you. It says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Now, that's not how we would phrase the question, but I hope you see the issue. If I'm saved by grace, 
Why not just keep sinning? Why not just, what does it matter how I live? Now that question comes in all sorts of different forms. The same issue comes up with all sorts of different questions. The the question here in verse 1 is, I think, Paul posing the sarcastic opposition of some of the first Jewish Christians of his time and their worry was if you keep preaching this gospel of grace, if you keep telling people it's by faith, then then no one will bother being godly. They, They thought you've got to give people some law. Because people won't bother, you know, they won't come to church. They won't, they won't try and live for Jesus if you don't say there are consequences if you don't. You, you've got to give them some law. Christians still ask that same question. You know, at the time of the Reformation, when, when Martin Luther and John Calvin and those sort of people rediscovered the gospel in the book of Romans, that was the criticism of the Roman Catholic Church of that time. They said, you can't keep telling people it's faith alone. You can't do that because people will then just keep sinning. Sometimes that question comes sort of like from the polar opposite end, from many modern Christians, or so-called Christians, I might say, where, where these people have heard at some point Jesus died for their sins. They've heard God is love or something sort of vague like that. They've prayed a prayer at some point where they express faith in Jesus and then they just think, well, now I'll, I'll live however I want. It doesn't matter. I've got my free ticket into heaven like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory sort of thing. It doesn't matter. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I don't, won't do anything now and I'll just turn up when, when Jesus returns or when I die, I've got my ticket. Now, most of us are not that brazen to, to even ask a question like that. But I think we all do think that way at some point. Uh, perhaps when we're tempted by some sin or another and we know it's wrong, we know Jesus would hate what I'm about to do, but we think to ourselves well, Jesus died for me, I'm forgiven anyway, what does it matter? Whatever form the question comes in, that is the issue of tonight's passage. If I'm saved by grace, what does it matter how I live? Why not keep sinning? Or to put it sort of the other direction, the other way around, if I don't need to do good works to be saved, because I'm saved by faith, then why bother doing good works at all? Now, before we get to the answer, there is something really, really important to see about this, something I want you to see. And this is, it is a good thing when people ask this question. If you've been preaching on Romans 1 to 5 for the last however many weeks, I can't even count them, it's been a long time, and I would be really disappointed if no one had asked me this question. Praise God, a couple of people have asked me this question after some of the earlier sermons in Romans. I would be disappointed because if you don't ask this question, at least if you don't see why someone might ask this question, then you haven't actually understood the gospel. You see, if you don't see why someone would ask this question, then you haven't understood what we've looked at in Romans 1 to 5. You haven't actually understood the first however many weeks of this series. You need to go back, get on the podcast tonight and go and listen from Romans chapter 1 verse 1 again because when people do ask this question, it shows that they've grasped something of the gospel. You see, because you don't ask this question if you think Christianity is about being a good person. You don't ask this question. You don't ask this question if you think you can earn your righteousness with God. You don't ask this question even if you think that you trust in Jesus, but then you do some good things and together that makes you right with God. But if you've grasped the gospel, if you've understood that you are a sinner who can never be good enough for God, if you understand that all we deserve is God's wrath and condemnation, if you understand that Jesus has died for your sins and that he gives you the gift of righteousness, which you take a hold of only by faith, by trusting in him, 
If you understand all that, then you see this is a real-life question. If I'm saved by grace, what does it matter how I live? Why not just keep sinning? So what is the answer? Well, the answer is really quite simple. It's in verse 2. If we're saved by grace, should we keep sinning? Verse 2, absolutely not. See, it might be a real question, it might be a legitimate question, but it doesn't make it a good question. Paul's answer is, of course not. Of course you don't keep sinning. Of course you you try to live a godly life for Jesus. But why? Well, the answer is there in the rest of verse 2. Look with me. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? That's the key point of this whole passage, that we we are dead to sin. We have died to sin. Why not keep sinning? Because you've died to sin. Now, that's what we're going to think about in verses 1 to 11. But what does that mean, that you died to sin? I, am, I feel like I'm very much alive. I didn't a couple of weeks ago. I was quite sick. I felt like I was nearly dead a couple of weeks ago. But I, I feel quite alive now. I've got a lot of energy at the moment. I, I am still the Phil Colgan who was born in the 1970s, which is a bit freaky for some of you, I know. But, but I, I'm not even telling you the year. Anyway, but uh, I don't think I've missed my death. You know the famous writer, Mark Twain, he heard when he was away from home that he died and he sent a telegram to his family and the telegram said, the reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. Well, that's, that's how I feel. I don't feel like I've died. So what does Paul mean? Well, come with me because this seems complex. As it was being read for us before, you might have thought this, this seems complicated. But actually, I think these verses are wonderfully simple because what he does is say the same thing over and over again, slightly differently to make sure you've got it. And this is the beautiful, simple point. See, we are born sinners. That was last week's passage, remember? Chapter 5. We are born into a body of sin. We we are sinners, first of all, because we are children of Adam. Do you remember what we saw? Uh, The first sinner. But then we're also sinners because from the moment we can think, we choose to sin. Sin is our natural state. But then, when you became a Christian, something amazing happened. You were crucified with Jesus. See, your old sinful self died. You were nailed to that cross with Jesus. That that Phil that was a child of Adam, that, that Phil who was a slave to sin, he died. And a new person was born that day. A new life began that day, raised with Jesus. That, that's why a Christian is born again. Sometimes people sort of think, oh, that's just for those Christians on early morning TV, they talk about being born again. No, every Christian is born again. That's what it is to be a Christian. We start a new life. And that new life is of a person who is no longer a slave to sin. That new person is now a slave to Jesus. So now, if you look at our verses, come with me. You'll see how he says it in slightly different ways over and over again. So look at verse 3. He says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. See, when you became a Christian, that's what it means when you're baptised, is when you become a Christian, you became linked to Jesus. That's what it is to be a Christian. We become united to Christ. And so when Jesus died, you died. And when Jesus rose from the dead, you were given a new life too because you are now linked to Jesus. 
Many years ago, I went to Kenya to, to teach uh, theological students over there, uh, and they had a tradition in this part of Kenya where I went to, where when someone became a Christian, they took on a new name. And, and nearly always, it was a great Old Testament name. So, you know, John becomes Jehoshaphat or, or Ezekiel. They all had names like that. Uh, and I think there's just a wonderful way to symbolise this, a wonderful way they had come up with to symbolise this. They didn't just sort of have two names then. The old name was gone. They were never called John again. Now their name was Jehoshaphat. They could do that in their culture because they didn't bother with government forms and all, all that, that sort of thing. But you see, it's a wonderful picture of this. Verse 6, I think, captures the essence of the point. He says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. If you do a crime, there's two ways of getting out of it. You can run for your life, that, that's one way, but they'll eventually catch you. There's two ways of getting out of it. You can do your time, you can go to jail and pay the price, or you can die. They can't, once you die, you're free from the, from the penalty of your crime. That's his point here. You've died. That old sin is gone because they can't hold it on you because you're a new person. You see, we've seen already in Romans how Jesus' death is for us. He dies in our place. We've seen over and over again. He dies to pay the price for our sin, to turn aside God's righteous anger. And so Jesus is our substitute. If we trust in Jesus, God says, that old sinful person, they died with Jesus. More than that, if you trust in Jesus, you're raised to life with him, a new person. Look at verse 8. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We often think of our resurrection as in the future, don't we? And that is, that is absolutely true as Christians. We look forward to the day when Christ returns and we will be raised perfect. That's when we'll be free from sin forever. We'll be raised perfect, raised to live with him in a new kingdom. Uh, that is what we look forward to, that future hope. But here it tells you, in one sense, that new person has already been born. Yes, you're waiting for a new body. Yes, you are waiting for all the effects of sin to, to be gone once and for all. And yes, that will not happen until Christ returns. But even so, in a wonderful sense, your new life has already begun because you are connected to Jesus through faith. You died with Jesus and now you are a new person with Jesus. And this new person is a slave of Jesus, not a slave of sin anymore. Now, that does not mean that we will not continue to struggle with sin. Just look down at verse 12. Do you see how it says that we are still in this mortal body for a little while longer? See, it is still a battle for us. The, the Christian life, I'm sorry to tell you this, the Christian life is hard. We're never promised an, an easy life as Christians. It is hard because we will continue to struggle and sometimes continually fall and fail with sin. And that struggle will continue until we die or until Christ returns. And we'll come to that battle in a moment. But the point here is, sin no longer defines us. See, when we sin, that just used to be you. That just used to be who you are. Now when we sin, that is not who you really are. When you sin, it's the aberration now. We're no longer slaves to sin. 
Sin is not our master anymore. Which means for a Christian to just deliberately decide to go on sinning. For a Christian to say something like chapter 6 verse 1. For a Christian to say, oh great, Jesus died for me. I'm going to get out there and sin as much as I can. For a Christian to have no desire to want to live to glorify Jesus, that would be to just deny the whole nature of what we believe. It's not actually possible in a way. It's to deny who we have become with Jesus. If you want to keep on sinning and you don't have a desire to live for God, then that suggests you haven't actually come to know Jesus. If you've come to know Jesus, you've changed. That's the reality. So I said back at the start, every Christian should understand why you might ask this question, can I just go on sinning? As I said, if you're saved by grace, it is a logical question. But at the same time, every Christian who truly knows Jesus very quickly says, well, it might be a logical question, but it's a stupid question. You see, we say with the Apostle Paul, of course not. Because to be a Christian, to come to trust in Jesus, is to say, I am a new person. To know I am a new person who died with Jesus and I've been born again with him. Yes, we will all struggle. Yes, we will fall at different times. Sometimes in massive ways. But the essence of being a Christian is to be someone who now lives for Jesus. That is the main point of today's passage. So I hope you've got that. Understand who you truly are. Be who you truly are. Do not be that old person who died with Christ. Be the new person Jesus has raised you to be. But, as I've said over and over again, we may have died to sin, but we are still in this mortal body. We still struggle with sin. That is the reality until Christ returns. So how do we live this new life? How do we live for Jesus even as we struggle with sin? Well, that's the next few chapters of Romans, but Paul gives us two keys in these last four verses of today's passage. The first is in verse 11, come with me, and it is this, remind yourself every day of who you really are. Look at verse 11. He says, so you too consider yourselves, think about yourselves, visualize yourself. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The problem is our mortal body is very real to us. I mean, if you think about it, you can touch it. You, 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 you understand your mortal body. It's real to you. And the normality of sin is very real to us, isn't it? We are very used to sinning. Is there anyone here who struggles to sin? If you put up your hand at that point, you would be proving my point, if you get what I mean. Sin comes easily to us. Sin is the path of least resistance. It's so easy, therefore, to just think, that's who I am. I'll just live like that. And then on the other hand, sadly, the spiritual reality of who we actually are in Christ, that can seem distant. It can seem out there. It can seem not very real. So because of that, we need to remind ourselves every day of true reality. We need to remind ourselves every day of the spiritual reality of who we really are in Christ. See, we need to say when we are tempted by sin, no, that is not me anymore. I am a new person in Christ. No, I'm not a slave to sin any longer. I'm alive in Jesus. We need to get that right in our mind. We have to have that self-understanding 
understand yourself correctly, and then our lives follow. This might sound a bit silly, but I want to say to you, why not get up every morning and look at yourself in the mirror, you know, admire yourself for a moment, look at yourself in the mirror every morning, and then say, I am a new person in Christ. That person looking at me is a new person in Christ, and so I'm going to try and live like it today. Before we get out into the world, before we get tempted to think that that this mortal thing is normal, that this sinful thing is normal, say to yourself, I am a new person in Christ. This is why fellowship is so important. As we live out in the world, as we go out into the workplace, we go into our school, into our uni, wherever it is you do, we forget who we are. As we go out into the world, we revert to thinking of ourselves as we used to be. We, we normalise living like a slave to sin. See, that's why meeting together for the first Christians, it was every day. But that's why meeting together is so important. Because this is reality, not out there. This is reality. This is who you are. You are a child of God, a part of the family of God. You are a new person in Christ. See, when we meet together, we remind ourselves... This is the truth. This is who I really am. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Remind yourself constantly, that is who I really am. Second thing, final thing. We need to fight the fight. This is verses 12 to 14. I said before, the Christian life is not easy. The Christian life is a constant battle, and that battle will not end until Christ returns. We need to own that. And then we need to realise, let's get on with fighting. We need to fight. Look from verse 12. He says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you. Because you are not under law, but under grace. See, the picture here is that sin was your old master. Sin was our old slave master. He once controlled us in every sense, but we died. And so he couldn't control us anymore. We were were carried out of his stronghold. And now we've been given a new life. And now we live for our new master, righteousness. But the battle is on. Our old master wants us back. He doesn't like the fact that we're not living for him anymore. And so in that battle, we will face choices all the time. It's choices where this battle plays out. See, he says, how will you use the parts of your body? I don't think he just means your hands and your feet and your your eyes and your mouth at that point. He means how you use every part of who you are. Yes, your your mouth, yes, your hands, but, but also your personality, your mind your will. And it's not just don't use them to sin. Look there again. Do you see? He says it's the positive. Choose to use them for righteousness. So will I use my mouth to speak gossip? Will I use my mouth to tell lies or just to quietly pull people down like we're so good at? Or will I use my mouth to speak words of grace and words of encouragement? And words that build other people up. That's what he's saying here. Will I use my hands to build treasures for myself here on earth? Or will I use them to serve other people? Will I use my mind to nurse bitterness? 
and imagine envious thoughts or will I use my mind to think about how I can glorify God and love other people? And I could go on and on. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to pause in the book of Romans. We're going to pause at the end of chapter 6 and we're going to just take a few weeks to actually do a series applying Romans 6. Uh, we've called the series Respectable Sins and Neglected Virtues. And what we're, we're going to think about is how do we fight this battle as Christians? How do we not let sin reign? How do we offer our parts to righteousness? And we're going to focus on those specific areas that many of us struggle with. Not the big ticket ones that everyone calls sin, but we're going to think about our speech. We're going to think about greed. We're going to think about anger. We're going to think about having a critical, judgmental spirit. So that's why we pause in Romans. But here now tonight, the point is, fight the battle, fight the fight to put off sin and live for righteousness. But never forget why you do that. See, we don't put off sin and put on righteousness to earn our salvation. Jesus has done that. That's why verse 14, look at verse 14 again. That's why we fight as people who are under grace, not law. So you don't fight to free yourself from sin. You, you don't fight to, to obey laws to earn your salvation. We fight because Jesus has already saved us. And so now we want to live for him. I hope you see that. As we close, I want us to be realistic. This battle is the Christian life every day. The very fact that these verses are here remind us that we are not going to be perfect until Christ returns. We need to fight this battle every day. See, you can never say, I am never going to sin again. You will. Unless Jesus returns right now, and even then we'll probably manage it in the second between. You can never say, I'm never going to sin again. You will. You will struggle with greed. You will struggle with, with lust. You will struggle with selfishness, just like I do. You cannot say, I am never going to sin again. But you can say... I don't have to sin right now. You can say when you face a choice, I'm not going to sin right now. See, we are not slaves to sin any longer. We are new people in Christ. And so as you walk out of here tonight, when that person annoys you and the words form in your mouth, you have a choice. Will I say the hurtful thing? Will I say the, 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 the crass thing? Will, will I say the thing that tears them down? Or will I stay silent? Or even better, will I speak a word of grace? When you turn on that screen, you have a choice. Will I look at that unhelpful thing? Or will I look at that helpful thing? Or perhaps even better, will I turn it off? And with every choice we face, we need to remind ourselves, who am I? Am I that slave to sin that I used to be? And at that point, we have to say, no. That person died with Jesus. I am a new person. I am the person who is alive with Christ. Remember who you really are. You are not a slave to sin. You are a new person in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful news of the gospel. We thank you that even though we do not deserve it, Jesus died for our sins. But more than that, we thank you that by faith, we have died with him and we are now a new person in Christ. 
And so, Father, help us in those choices we face to remember who we truly are, to remember that we are not slaves to sin any longer. But, Father, when we fail, and we know that we will, we thank you that we are still saved by grace, that we are not under law, and we thank you for the way that liberates us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.